Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business and the knowledge economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's episode, we are interviewing Greg LaFollette. Greg, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. Thanks so much for having me, Ed. Well, you have just been one of my mentors for quite some time now, and we're just thrilled to have you on the show. But for those of our audience who might be not familiar with your storied career, could you give us the the Reader's Digest condensed version? Well, when you say I'm a mentor, that makes me that makes me feel very old, um, and that's that's really my uh, my bio is because I'm old. I've done a bunch of different things. Uh, I practiced, I am a CPA and I practiced uh, public accounting for 25 plus years, left practice in the late 90s, giant Thompson, then Thompson, now Thompson Reuters, uh, helped run one of their software organizations uh, then called Creative Solutions, uh, retired from there, um, took responsibility at that time for the a magazine uh, then called the CPA Software News, we renamed it the CPA Technology Advisor, uh, now called the CPA Practice Advisor. I again retired from that position after six or seven, eight years, I guess, when I finally found a successor, and I uh, retired to go do some consulting with uh, different uh, software vendors in the accounting space, and six years ago, I made the mistake that consultants often do, I accidentally went to work for one of my clients uh, that was CPA to Biz, now CPA.com, the uh, for-profit subsidiary of the ASCPA. And uh, so I, I worked I worked with the uh, um, with CPA.com, and three years ago I resigned from the executive team, became a strategic advisor, uh, which means I don't do a whole lot of a whole lot for them, but I do some things. And I, I speak and, and write and wander around and, and uh, try to put people together and have a lot of fun. That's the short version. <laughs> so it's, it's fair to say, based on that, that the only thing you've really ever failed at is retiring. Well, yeah, and I'm, and I'm still working <laughs> at that. You don't fail until you quit. So uh, <laughs> I, I guess what's, what's fun about where I, where I am now and, and what I'm doing with CPA.com and the Institute is that um, I kind of feel like I have seen the profession from all possible angles. And, you know, so I've, I've been kind of in all of the different seats around the, 
uh, around the table. And my, my, uh, my final goal in life is to file my personal tax return with no pass-through entities involved. And I'm down to, <laughs> I'm down to only about three. And I'm, I'm hoping. Well, everyone's got to have a goal, I suppose. Um, hey, uh, the other thing I want to ask you about is you don't happen to be one of these people who save their business cards from all of the jobs they have, have you? What's a business card? Well, yeah, I know, but we still have them. <laughs> I, I can imagine your stack would be pretty, pretty hefty with all of the name changes that you had in there. How do you, how do you keep it all straight? You know, I have one email address. And, you know, every time I go to work for somebody, they give me an email address, and I say, yeah, that's fine. And I just forward it to my email address, and that's the, that's the way I live. But um, I'm pretty easy to find, so. If it's not electronic, it doesn't really exist. I love it. Exactly. True. If, it, if it's physical, it doesn't exist. It has to be analog. Um, so. Yep. So let me let me let me call you on the carpet just a little bit here. I don't, okay. don't never want to be rude to our guests, but quite a long time ago, you you were pro- probably a, a, a not a, a naysayer, but just someone who questioned some of the stuff that Ron and I now now talk about uh, the elimination of the timesheet and, and fixed price agreements. If I could just ask you what what was what was your transa- transition like in your brain because you're now a, a, a supporter of some of the things that we talk about I, I, I am a supporter and I and Ron and I go back literally 25 plus years and for a long time I made fun of Ron I thought he was insane running around screaming at people telling them that they should throw away their timesheets and the accountant in me the cost accountant would would uh, you know would push back really hard saying my God, you can't get rid of that. You have to know what your costs are. And I bought into, you don't have to price by cost because you price by value, not mm-hmm. by cost. But but I, I still want to know how much it's costing me so that my cost is less than the value. Otherwise, I have to change something. And I finally figured it out one day. And I, I suspect, Ed, that it was I was at a conference somewhere sitting in on one of your classes or one of uh, one of Ron's, and you talked about what happens to a culture when you measure things like time and what it does to how people think. And I actually thought about uh, way back when I accidentally uh, took physics a million years ago and, and learned that that observation impacts behavior. So... I mean, even even as scientists try to study something, they know that just by looking at it, it changes what's happening. And I thought, you know, that's exactly true. When you when you say to people, "We're going to measure your time," you 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 elevate that to a um, a sense of importance that simply doesn't exist. And so that was that was my that was my uh, bright shining moment where I finally figured it out. And uh, we should do that in a macro, not in a micro basis. Yeah, it's it, uh, uh, oftentimes Ron and I have talked about the attribution to Peter Drucker of the you know McKinsey maxim, which is what you can measure, you can manage, or sometimes it's said in the inverse, what you can't measure, you can't manage. Right. And but and and I get I get really crazy about that because he never said it. But curiously, Greg, you know, he did say something a little bit what like what you're just talking about, which he said something like this: "What you measure, you will get." Yes. Right, which is very right. different from being able to manage it. <laughs> but right. you, you'll get it. You'll get if you measure hours, you will get them. But they might not be helpful for anyone. 
Right. And then I, I think of all of the corporate meetings that I've sat in as a, as a part of you know, a huge organization, Thompson, for example, uh, where, where we talked about we were having smart goals, you know, specific, measurable, and, and all of the things as a strategy guy, you know, what I want to do, I want to represent us to the profession. Well, mm-hmm. well yeah, I count the people I talk to. I mean, I, I don't know how to measure that. So all of those things, I kind of, I, I think, come into play. Yeah, and, and it's it's a little scary, too, because sometimes, uh, it, as my observations as not being an accountant, but it is the, the, the word, I think, is, is pantometrist. They, they, they just, they do want to measure everything. And I can remember when first being introduced to something like the balanced scorecard, which on the surface of it looks like a great idea and expands out beyond just looking at financial metrics. But man, some of those poor people who tried to implement that and, you know, now they're looking at 17 key performance indicators. And when you have, as you know, when you have 17 key performance indicators, you really have none. Right. Right. Because if everything's important, nothing's important. (laughs) Right. But we have very sophisticated dashboards that make it look pretty. (laughs) Let me me give you an example of, of, when, when people want to use absolute measurable metrics, many, many times, and I would say dozens of times when I was practicing, uh, I would meet with a, with a, a company, you know, multiple owners, you know, three or four owners, and they wanted, to, they wanted to come up with a buy-sell agreement. They wanted to come up with a valuation process. And I'd say, fine, what, you know, what's your business worth? They said, well, we have to have a formula. And I'd say, well, okay. And so we'd start talking about last year's earnings plus inventory minus this plus this. And we we develop this formula and you know and and push it all out to the end and push the sum button. And we'd say the formula says five million dollars. And they went, oh no, it's got to be higher than that. Change the formula. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, no, then, then let's not have a formula. <laughs> just pick the number. But yeah. they just couldn't just have a number. They had people want to, want to be able to justify the number. Yeah, there's got to be an obligatory spreadsheet that, that pulls it out. And one of, one of the, the, the greatest examples of that was in a, a book that, that Ron and I both read. Oh, is it going back seven or eight years now called The Management Myth by a guy by the name of Matthew Stewart? Who said the original measure of all of these things? You know, Frederick Taylor. It, when you go back and read through his notes, you know he he uh, he had a forty percent fudge factor, Greg. Forty percent <laughs> built into his so-called scientific management equations. Right. right. Yep, coming up with a number that that uh, in, that, that has a, a level of precision that isn't even remotely existent. Yep. But it makes us feel better. It just it does give us comfort, and that's I guess what you, you when you were talking about earlier in physics, the observer effect, right? And um, you know, and I love one of my favorite physicists on that is is Richard Feynman, who said, "Nature does not know what you are looking at, and she behaves the way she is going to behave, whether you bother to take down the data or not." <laughs> right? So, <laughs> yep. Yep. So, hey, I wanted to ask you as we move in, because we, we're going to, this is going to be a far ranging interview. I know we want to talk about uh, Bitcoin and, and driverless cars and, and all kinds of fun stuff that I've seen you present on and graphene. Let's not forget graphene. But let's stay with the, theory, the, the, the theme of accounting in this first segment and ask you, uh, and you were kind enough to get me an invite to the Thought Leader dinner at the PS Tech 
conference this uh, past May, I guess it was, right. and um, when Barry Melanson was was took questions, and I'll ask you the same questions that he was asked, and that is, what what do you think is the number one concern? For the accounting profession today, what 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 would keep you awake at night if you were Barry Melanson? You know, it was a lot more fun to ask Barry that question <laughs> than it is to actually answer the question. I I did, the, as you recall, I, I asked the questions that night, and um, now that I'm thinking about it, it's much more fun to ask than answer. Um, for for me, there there are I guess there are two parts. Um, one is this. Uh, the, the, the stuff that's going on right now, this convergence of all of these huge technologies, and we'll, you just mentioned some of them, we'll go back and talk about those, but all of those are going to impact business models so dramatically that the profession who by design uh, moves slowly is all of a sudden in a position where moving slowly which used to be an admirable trait, is now not so admirable. Um, and if you think about it, I mean, you don't want the profession that's defining uh, um, financial reporting standards to move quickly. You don't want them sitting around saying, oh, I know, let's change this and see what happens. You know? um, so the, the, the profession um, is faced with a, with a world that's changing very, very, very quickly, and they're not necessarily a profession that moves quickly. That's one. And the, the, the other, and I guess it's a, probably a result of the first, is that the, the, the world, the, the, the consumer, the, the business customers of, or clients, if, we would, if we'd be over there, but the, the business customers want stuff that the profession hasn't necessarily been offering. You know, they, we, we've been offering compliance and, and backward-looking reporting and now all of a sudden customers want a trusted business advisor hold my hand and help me go forward into the great unknown and although we all say we would love to do that it's not something that we have done in the past so it's that movement from compliance to trusted business advisor and the fact that that's happening faster than anything that's ever happened in the profession before. Outstanding. Well, we are already bumped up against our first break, but we want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron and myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Also, follow along with our show notes, which we will post from this interview with Greg LaFollette on thesoulofenterprise.com, as well as show previews. But right now, we want you to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. 
Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Greg LaFollette. And Greg, uh, following up on what Ed asked you about the number one issue facing the profession, I liked your answer. I, I kind of would sum it up in one word. Relevance. Isn't it relevance? Um, I, you know, I, I, think, I think it is. Um, you know, we have, uh, the professions have been, have been, basically they've been rent seekers for a long, long time. And, um, Amen. You know, we, we haven't had to have relevance. And, and I mean, we all want to, nobody, nobody goes to, you know, five years of college and passes a, an incredibly difficult uh, uh, professional entrance exam to to do sales tax returns. I mean, nobody wants to do that, but that's what we've been stuck doing. And our clients have never wanted those things. So, um, you know, they, they've always wanted the forward-looking things. And, um, you know, all of, to me, the interesting thing is that these technologies are all popping out all over that, that enable new business models. And, you know, the new business model that we have to uh, adopt or adapt to, I guess, isn't any different than some of the new other new business models. I mean, we, you look at, at, what we call disruptive technology, and and say, uh, well, look at uh, well, look at Uber. we have to talk about Uber. So you look at Uber and say that's a disruptive technology. It's really not. It's a it's a disruptive or a new business model that takes advantage of new technology. But Uber isn't a technology; it's just a business model. So accountants and the profession is faced with the same thing. We have new technologies like blockchain and uh, big data and the cloud and different things. And those things are all things that we can take advantage of and should be taking advantage of to, to provide to our customers what they want. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is the point Andy Grove made that it's not technology per se that's disruptive. It's business models. Exactly. Napster and Craigslist and Google Books and all of these. These are incredibly disruptive. You had said earlier, Ted, that you'd seen the profession from every angle. And and I love that because it kind of is like a bystander, right? You you see things that the audience and and the actors don't see when you're kind of backstage as a bystander. And, um, what what do you this this idea 
that accountants need to move from playing historian with bad memories to a more future-focused business advisory, whatever you want to call those services, level four, level. Greg, I've heard this for 30 years. Going back to the, the original AICPA Vision Project, talking, mm-hmm. you can talk about Paul Dunn and Rick Payne, who were pioneers in this in the early yep. 90s. The profession hasn't caught on. We're still in compliance mode for the most part. If you were to analyze the revenue of most accounting firms, except possibly the big four top 100, it's coming mostly from compliance. Do you think culturally we're capable of becoming more consultants or business advisors? Well, I I think we are. Let me let me go back and, and I agree with trying to change things. I mean, I was involved back in the early 80s, mid-80s with trying to develop a, a software product that, that we as accountants could put in our clients' offices and let them do bookkeeping and then we'd pull that data back and 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 we'd do the accounting and, and you know, that that, that technology was starting to work really well until, and then QuickBooks came along, and and the people who had that technology looked at QuickBooks and said, "Oh, that'll never work." And you know, obviously, that was wrong. Um, but you know, the 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 technology simply didn't exist to allow CPAs to provide the kind of services that they're that their customers wanted because their customers may not have wanted a tax return, but they needed a tax return because if they didn't file it, they'd they'd be in jail. So we had to look at that and say, okay, well, we have to do a tax return. And then if and when we have time, we'd love to do these other things, but we never had time. So that was, and the the other part of this, and and I I think this is something that that, uh, I've heard you and Ed talk about, Um, when I did the tax return, I'll put on back on my practitioner's hat, I did a tax return, I handed it to a client, and I gave them a bill, and I gave them a bill for $1,000, here's your tax return, and they would go, either actually or metaphorically, I don't like that bill, it's too much, and you know, because they have, there's no value to them in a tax return other than the fact that they stay out of jail. Uh, they don't value that. So they, they'd grumble about the price. And then we as a profession would say, well, I can't even get them to pay for a tax return. They're sure as heck not going to pay for, for consultation and, and forward looking budgeting and forecasting and, and management advisory services when the fact is that if we bill them for that, they'd be thrilled to pay the bill right? because they got value from it. But we as a profession could never quite figure that out. Right. Yeah, well, no, it's, we did got rich. Right. It's a good point. Um, the other question I had for you is, I, I, I know you haven't read it, or not finished reading it yet, the Richard and Daniel Susskind book, The Future of the Professions. Right. Ed and I brought him to Sage Summit. He did a keynote presentation and then did a panel discussion, uh, which was fascinating, and we were able to take him to dinner, too, and I picked his brain even further and learned some pretty interesting things. But what you heard the interview with him and, and maybe even Mark Koisel's follow-up interview about how he sees uh, what they're saying impacting the profession. What's your take on the future of the professions? I mean, IBM Watson, Ross, and the legal profession – these types of technologies and platforms and AI and deep learning 
going to radically alter the professions, aren't they? Well, I, you know, I, I think they will. Um, but, you know, it, it, to me, it's, it's interesting when, when you look under the covers at, um, at what, what's hap- what happens with artificial intelligence and, and uh, Deep Blue and things like that, that they, you know, we're not anywhere near, and the people who study it say we're, we're literally decades, if not centuries, away from duplicating the, the, the the human mind, in terms of the way it operates, um, they've done they've done tests where you know where they will um, humans using a computer playing against regular computers. The humans win every time because they're they have they have computers to assist, but then they have this this special um, strategy and this special intuition and and things like that. And I think that you know for for a long long time that's going to be the the thing that that differentiates the the profession. Now, uh, people sitting around trading keystrokes for dollars are, if not already gone will be very very soon and you know the compliance service kinds of things will will probably will probably disappear but um everything everything that moves forward means that that the um the profession the professionals that move forward i believe will will do just fine um but they're going to have to modify it right the way they they can't run the firm the way their mom or dad ran it Right. This isn't your. This isn't your father's CPA firm. Right. They're gonna, and their roles are going to change. One of the the points that Daniel made in his talk was, you know, the 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 role that you play every day, day to day, is going to look very, very different. Going to be more of a curator or a connector or, or all these different things that, that that really don't look like anything that we do today. Yep. Um, you know, it's funny, Greg, when you see these IBM Watson commercials, and some of them are very, very clever. Um, the ending, I don't know if you picked up on this, but it says, welcome to the cognitive era. And I just got, I have to ask you, I was a big proponent of Cognitor that the ICPA pushed. I don't know right. where you stood on it, but do you think that would have been a good thing to do? Well, we just did it. <laughs> we, we, That's what Mark Boisiel tells, tells me. I'm not sure I agree with that. We just I, did. Well, you know, we 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 did Cognitor with a decade of of refinement and and changes, and it became CGMA and the new international joint venture. Is it's not exactly the same, but it is in essence embracing the vision that. That you know, people held whatever that was a dozen or fifteen years ago. That um, that we were gonna that we were gonna go forward with a different looking profession than the one that we'd had for the last hundred plus years. Right. Of course, Cognitor was opened up to even non CPAs, right? And I think that's one of the big reasons it failed. Uh, true, but so is CGMA um, inter- internationally. So, internationally right right yeah right so i mean it, it's a it's a different thing and when you you know you look at the at the percentage of of staff ads uh, especially in the big four uh, the majority of staff ads are are not cpas 
there are all sorts of different professionals, um, you know, data analysts, and I mean, there are all sorts of all sorts of people that you put a whole bunch of of very smart people trained in lots of different uh, organizations, and you call it professional services. Right, right. I know Suskin makes a point that one of the big firms has more nurses <laughs> on on their team than than you know professionals. I thought that was pretty interesting. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> um, you, you know, it's just really interesting. Some of this technology. I mean, I think you're right. It can never replace what you know being a human. But that's one of the things the Suskins call the AI fallacy. The the idea that artificial intelligence has to function or look like or act like or think like a human. They don't. However, they can do things that are pretty rote. Like they talked about PricewaterhouseCoopers program Halo, which right. is audit software. No more sampling. Halo can audit every single transaction. So you right. don't have to do samples anymore. Yeah, just redo it. Yeah, and that's pretty powerful. And, of course, I know Ed wants to get into the blockchain, and I'm really interested in your take on how blockchain technology will change the accounting profession with triple inter bookkeeping and, and especially auditors. Uh, but in the meantime, we're up against a uh, break here, Greg, so I'd like to remind you folks, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. And please check out our show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. We'll have full show notes uh, on this episode with Greg. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Quanta CRM. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper, Always Be Closing, a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back with Greg LaFollette. We want to quick remind you, though, to keep those reviews coming on the podcast, which is available on iTunes. Go to thesoulofenterprise.com slash iTunes, and please write a review. Those are the currency for us. And in a quick segue regarding currency, Greg, I want to ask you about what your impressions are about both Bitcoin 
and the blockchain. I know you do a presentation at some of the technology conferences on future technologies, and and this is one that you've you've talked quite a bit about. So thoughts on the and I and we do separate out the two, Bitcoin and blockchain. So what are your thoughts? Well, good. They shouldn't be separated out because it's like talking about. Uh, gasoline and automobiles. Right. <laughs> they're, they're, they're somehow related, although not for long, but right now they're somehow related. And I'm about half scared to talk about, uh, uh, to talk about blockchain after listening to your, to your two interviews with, with, uh, our very good friend Doug Sleater because, uh, he's become a, a real guru in, in this world. Um, so, you know, as I'm, I'm thinking about, about the, First, the Bitcoin thing, because that happened uh, back in, you know, the end of 12, early part of 13, when I first started seeing and reading about, uh, about Bitcoin. And I, uh, I went and bought some Bitcoin and Doug and I actually, as an experiment, uh, tried to figure out how to move Bitcoin between the two of us. And we laughed because it felt very much like when you bought your first fax machine, you'd go to find someone else who had one and then get the number, fax something to them and pick up the phone and call and say, did you get the fax? And <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we were doing with, with Bitcoin. And for a long time, I, I used Bitcoin as a test of someone's technological prowess when somebody would tell me they were big into technology and stuff i would send them five dollars worth of bitcoin not five bitcoin but five dollars which was like 0.005 or something back then um bitcoin and say here's a cup of coffee on me and (laughs) i was gonna say 75 percent of them the, the Bitcoin was redeposited uh, back to my wallet because they were never claimed because that technologically advanced person couldn't figure out how to do it or didn't want to take the time to figure out how to do it. Um, now we're getting to the point where it's certainly not ubiquitous, but um, if I send somebody $5, I don't get it back. <laughs> it, it, it does disappear. Um, so... You know, but that aside, I think the more important thing is, as, as Doug pointed out, that you start looking under the hood and realizing that it's blockchain that makes the, um, the world go round, certainly makes Bitcoin go round and lots of other things. Um, and it will have some, some huge changes. People who say they can foresee what the changes are, um, I, I think are are silly. The I don't think any of us can any more than we could look back, uh, you know, to early 1990s when we invented the web uh, on top of the internet, and and somebody would say, "Well, do you know what HTTP is going to do to the world?" I think no one understood what it was going to do to the world. So um, it's it is certainly going to uh, change. Huge, huge, huge swaths of uh, of what we do, and the most fun about it is that none of us need to know anything about it. You know, we will it it, it will be something that's under the hood that makes things run, and you don't need to know anything about this. I don't need to understand nuclear fission to turn my lights on and use electricity that was that was created down the road. 
And where do you see it having the? And I'm sp- talking specifically now about blockchain uh, having an, a, an effect on the accounting profession. Is do you see the possibility of the the triple entry bookkeeping system, as it were, which is even one step beyond needing to audit everything because the audit actually takes place in real time? Then, well, yeah, and I've and I've read and read about and listened to a lot of people talk about that and uh, the the big. The big issue here is the difference between um, public blockchains and private blockchains and privacy. Um, you know whether or not that exists. And I've I've been spending uh, a significant amount of time with some people in New York. There's an organization called the the Wall Street Blockchain Alliance, and uh, I'm working with the, the gentleman that. Uh, that's the uh, CEO of that organization. In fact, he's going to he's, he's going to present at uh, at our annual uh, executive roundtable next winter. Um, and as you as you listen to what those those people are doing, they are having exactly. This is all the big banks, all the big brokerage firms, all the you know all the people on Wall Street um, and in the financial district, uh, all pooling resources, trying to figure out what to do, and they're having the same conversations now as they did eight or ten years ago when we were first started embracing the cloud and it became are we going to use the public cloud or the private cloud and you know in the in the um in the premises based software world we had all of these silos and we hoped when we went to the cloud that we wouldn't have silos of course we do have silos and now we're looking at block, blockchain saying oh we're not going to have silos anymore and i'm not so sure that that's true um i i hope that it's not you know that that you know we're we're not going to have silos, but I have very little confidence that um, at least initially that we're we're going to have anything other than bigger, faster, smarter um, silos. Well, sure, and it, it, I guess it's it sort of merged together. Remember when that the, we had the term um, intranet, right? Which was yep. the 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 internet that stayed that was inside your company, and exactly now. And, and now they kind of merge together, and yes, you can get to a corporate intranet, but you usually do use the internet to get to the intranet, which, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Lots of fun, confusing. All right, I want let, to, let, let's broaden here, because I know that in that presentation that I saw you do a couple of times, you just talk about lots of fun technology that you see coming down the pike, and I know that one that that you and and I and and uh, and and a few others have have talked about is the idea of driverless cars. And what, what, I know you're up to speed, and perhaps further than I am on some of the latest. What's what's going on with that? Where do you see? Do you, is that getting closer to fruition? Well, yes, it is getting closer to fruition, and it's always difficult to uh, to figure out where we're going to be. It's it's not at all hard for me to say, you know, in twenty years we will have all we will have driverless cars everywhere. I'm convinced that my grandchildren will be alive when there is a Supreme Court case to determine whether or not humans should be allowed to drive. Um, because we're we're terribly unsafe as as opposed to to um, computers driving, um, so I you know that will happen now. Um, my friend Jeffrey Moore, who who wrote Crossing the Chasm, 
uh, calls himself, and I've stolen this line from him, uh, he calls himself not a futurist, but a 20-minuteist. I'm, I'm way more <laughs> interested in what's going to happen in the next two years than I am in the next two decades. Uh, part of that is age. But, but you know, that's really the hard part is trying to figure out how we get from here to there. So if you look at, at Tesla, and Elon Musk is a, a hero of mine, um, he's making all of these things happen at the same time. In order to make driverless cars safe, we have to have a huge amount of, of data. We now, we now know how to handle big data. We have millions and millions and millions of miles of data collected by all of those Teslas out there. Um, you know, and if he'd just give me a Model S, I'd go out and give him more data, but it um, <laughs> doesn't look like that's going to happen. But, you know, these cars, these cars are all over, so we're gathering more and more and more data, and every time there's an accident, uh, everybody goes, ooh, there was, a, there was an accident. Every single time, we find out that it wasn't the computer, it was somebody else, something else. Um, so it's, it's most certainly going to drive, you know, going to happen. Um, I think the fun part of it is not that it's going to happen, but what's the result of that? And, you know, that's what to me is, is, is exciting is how, how do we as, as practicing CPAs today, how do we help advise our clients, be that trusted business advisor when we're, when we're looking at something like driverless cars? And if you've got a if if you have a a client that owns a bunch of parking facilities in uh, you know in Midtown Manhattan, and he's talking about buying more more buildings to put up more parking lots, maybe if we're going to have driverless cars, and maybe that's not going to happen real real fast, but when we do, we're not going to need parking lots, are we? Or nope. at least not very many. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so that that changes things. It changes things a lot, uh, and when you when you start thinking about you know those kinds of changes, uh, if we have three D printers, we don't need hardware stores, do we? Yeah, or yep. it's not not hardware stores that sell nuts and bolts. Yep. Well, I, I you know I was thinking about it. I, I, I'm a we're a two car family. I've got young kids, and we we have two uh, Honda Pilots. Uh, one, one is older than the other, and and the one that's older really just goes goes to the airport and back with me and then occasionally on the weekends to a, a, a baseball game or a, a volleyball game with with one of the kids and you know I'm, I'm really thinking that this car will probably last long enough so that when it does go I will not need to replace it with a second car you know right. um, because I just I'll, I'll just uber uber x when i for the for the, for the spare capacity so right. yet yet right. another example right of what what are you going to do what are you doing for your individuals and so it takes right. it down to right. the individual level not just the business level exactly and you know the 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 interesting thing if you if you study uh you know how how uber man how, how travis kalanak managed to to get that over the hump was making sure that he had capacity and demand matched at every single step because a brand new user uh, loads up Uber on their, on their smartphone, pushes the button, and one doesn't show up, 
then they automatically go, well, I'm not using that because it's not dependable. And I'm now to the point where if I'm in Midtown and, and I, and I push a button to get a, to get an Uber and I look at it and it says six minutes, I go, oh my God, six minutes. It's a third world country. <laughs> so our, you know, user, user expectation will soon exceed all available capacity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's a great Louis C.K. line where he's ta- talking about people in airplanes and the, 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 you know, he's on the internet on the airplane and it breaks down. And the guy next to him goes, This is bull. <laughs> it's like <laughs> all, all how suddenly the world owes this guy something that he only knew existed 10 seconds ago. You know, pretty, right. pretty wild. Right. So, uh, well, we're up against our last break, and I just want to. This has been a great conversation. Ron will probably finish finish up, so I want to thank you, Greg. Uh, it's so been fun. a great conversation. But uh, right now, we want to hear from our final sponsor, and of course, my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees, a 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Greg LaFollette talking about a whole range of issues, uh, technology and its impact on the accounting profession and whatnot. And we'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com and follow the show live at Twitter at, uh, at asktsoe. Greg, in the few, remin- a f- a few minutes we have remaining, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the other major trends? We talked about the number one issue facing the profession that you thought. What are some other things that you see happening out there? Well, you know, we, I, I, I don't want to get into the, to the uh, generational demographic kinds of things because there are people uh, far more knowledge, knowledgeable than I um, about that. But I, but I will share my, 
my observation about that. So I happen, I, I maintain an office. I live in South Dakota and I made a, maintain an office, uh, with Ide Bailey, one of the top 25 firms, uh, here in Sioux Falls. And I, you know, I sit on a floor with a, with a, a whole bunch of auditors, which I think is really funny because, because I was a tax guy and I'm, so I'm surrounded by, by auditors. But when, when I started in the profession, Ron, um, I got my first job and there were, there were, a dozen people lined up out by the door ready to take that job in a heartbeat. And so when they said to me, work 70 or 75 or 80 hours a week, I looked out there at all those hungry souls and said, yes, sir, happy to do that, sir. <laughs> and, you know, then, and we, and we did. Uh, and that, that was the culture. And it was a badge of honor. How many hours do you work? Well, I work 2,700 hours and that sort of thing. And then uh, now we've, we've come to a spot, thanks to technology, we're able to do enough work where the, the profession now, if you say to young people coming in, you know, we want you to work um, 80 hours, they say, fine, 80 hours every two weeks, that's not a problem. <laughs> you know, but, but, and if we look out in the hall to see who's out there to take their job, there's nobody there. And so they won't work, you know, uh, 40, 50, I mean, 50, 60, 70 hours a week. And the guys my age then all look around and say, wait a minute, that was stupid for us to work that hard. I'm not going to work that hard either. So, you know, the profession has now, I think, taken advantage of technology to move their working hours uh to first of all to spread their working hours and and secondly to reduce them to the point where they're they're humane um, and I think that's a I think that's a big change um, you know and as we do more of this uh, consulting stuff we'll have we'll have less and less uh, office hours you see more hotel kind of offices and things like that I, I think that's a big change. Do you see a lot of results-only work environments like uh, like Jody Thompson and Callie Resler uh, advocate? Yeah, that was a that was a fun uh, a fun interview you did you uh, you did with them, and um, I I wish that I could say I thought that was going to really that was really going to take off, but uh, I'm I fear that um, that regulation of government regulation is not going to allow us to form relationships like that um, as much as as much as what we would like um, you know uber works because we have you know because we have independent contractors who work on demand and now there's a whole bunch of people out running around saying we want to protect them by making them employees right right yeah it's a great example of regulation stifling <laughs> innovation right, right yeah yeah <laughs> greg when you when you're out there talking on the circuit about you know bitcoin blockchain all this great technology driverless cars what's your sense of the awareness that the profession has of, of let's just say blockchain because i think blockchain although i'm with you we can't predict it we don't know where it's going or when but I have no doubt that it's going to make an impact at some point, and I just don't find many CPAs even aware of it. Well, you know, and again, I'm, I I find it fascinating, and it's it's fun to talk about, and, and there's a lot. It's fun to to sit around and conjecture about what's going to happen. I think the the 
to me, the more interesting thing is how do we help accountants recognize what's disruptive? And I mean, I, my, my confession to you is that I'm a, I'm an alpha geek. If it's, if it's shiny and has LED lights on it, I have it. Um, I have a, I have a wall of shame with all of this stuff that, that doesn't make any sense. So I'm, I'm all out there. But, um, when it comes to things that are truly disruptive, how, how do you recognize those things? So how do you look and say, this is something that's going to change life for my clients and I need to know about it? And, or, or how is it, you know, just interesting? And, right. you know, to me, the, the, you know, I've been interviewing people and talking about this for the last three or four years specifically. And I've come up with a couple of rules of thumb that help that, that help me conclude that that a technology or a business model based on technology is truly disruptive and one of those the prime one run and you hopefully you'll find this interesting the prime one is the ratio of technology expenditures to legal expenditures. So <laughs> I love it. When when you when you find some of these some of these di- really disruptive technologies, the ratio is ten to one. They're spending ten dollars in the courtroom for every one dollar they spend in the server room, love because it. there are so many people trying to protect themselves. Um, right. So when the when there is excessive mockery. When there's lots of government in, uh, involvement, when there's when you know when you can look at it and say, "Wow, somebody, some huge class is being completely disintermediated," that's going to leave a mark. You know, right. somebody, somebody's. That's, you know, um, that's brilliant. Greg. Run that ratio through Napster, and wow, exactly. uh, exactly. it's well, infinite. Actually, yeah, yeah right. absolutely. How, how has the how has the the realtor profession managed to survive without complete disintermediation how have them they been able to protect that six percent commission uh, against all covers pretty effectively yep you're right Um, greg thank you so much we're up against that i wish we had more time we'll definitely bring you back this is a fascinating discussion ed what's on store for next week Next week, we're going to talk about Jay Richard's Eight Myths of Capitalism. Looking forward to that show, Ron. Excellent. See you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE. Energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please join us on www.thesoulofenterprise.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 